the afternoon, I was once talking to a fellow from a major consulting group, and I showed him how we do the process. And he said to me, he said, do you realize that we're making billions of dollars a year selling and managing tools? And your process is not going to help us one bit. It eliminates the tools and the processing of these tools and selling of these tools. We make our money selling the tools. And you're selling a process that will define the tools that you need and only the tools that you need and manage the tools and manage the work and everything like that. It makes it so much simpler that the business is hacking on both sides, okay? The consulting companies make money helping you design your cybersecurity system or managing your tools, and the hackers work to avoid the tools. Just stop it. The -the run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with arrows in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader who has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for decades. His company leads the world in the area of IT asset management. They manage hundreds of millions of software assets worldwide. Notable interest. His company has never obtained venture funding, which is one of the reasons why he says they're still in business. Instead, his global company has grown through internal processes and very large sales. He has two engineering degrees with expertise in computer networks, network devices, programming, and operations, and he holds several U.S. patents in information technology. Hint, he never sleeps. (laughs) We're talking to him today about what is wrong with cybersecurity today. Please welcome our disruptor coming to us live in New Jersey, Walt Zablowski, Chairman of the Board and Chief Technology Officer of Aerosent. How are you today? I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm doing great, too. It's always great to talk to you, Walt. You're always so happy, and you deal with a very unhappy industry. (laughs) Well, it's unhappy for some people, but happy for others. (laughs) That's true. Those those fellows that got that $17 million bonus for hacking a beet plant or as happy as can be. <laughs> that is so true. Imagine having 17 million untaxed dollars dropped into your pocket. It's happening every day, isn't it? Every day. So we have a lot of happy people in cybersecurity growing <laughs> every day. <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me this before we get started, we're really going to talk about cybersecurity, like the status quo. The good, the bad, the ugly, what needs to be changed. But tell our listeners, you know, every disruptor, innovator has something that guides them. It's like a common denominator. It's like a a main ingredient that when they look at something, they look at it through this lens. 
What is that for you? Well, I think what I try to do is reduce everything down to data management. And everything in life I see is just managing data. I look out the window, I see it's sunny, and I say, okay, what what are the winds like so I can go flying or not? So you're always looking at data. And when you look at, say, IT management or cybersecurity management, it's all the same thing. Just looking at data and seeing how you could modify that data to get you into a better place. It's so simple. It's so simple. (laughs) It's It's terribly simple. simple. (laughs) You know, you always have a way of really making things very simple. Like when you talk to the media, when you talk to others, you know, cybersecurity has been grown into this industry that is incredibly complex. It's not incredibly complex. It's not. It's incredibly simple. And the practitioners within cybersecurity know how simple it is. So what is the perceived complexity? And, you know, what is really the simplicity? The perceived complexity is because when you get hacked, you need to tell your boss that this is extremely complex and difficult. And my God, we have to spend more money because they're so much smarter than we are. They're using such high-tech tools. And the boss says, oh, my God, should we spend more money? You say, yes, millions more. And hopefully, by spending all this extra money, we could beat out all these bad guys that are using unbelievably complex nothing. They're using simple tools. They know that you haven't updated your software. They know you have no control over your devices. They know you're not doing your job. So it's very simple for them, very simple to get onto a network, hide themselves, steal someone's login and password, and mimic them and steal your data, control your devices. It's so simple that it's beyond simple. Yet, it is so embarrassing when you get hacked. So what are you going to say? Some kid hacked into our thing and we have to pay him $17 million? Or do you say, oh, my God, they're using space-age technology imported from UFOs from outer space? They're not. They're simple tools. You know, that's so very interesting. So it reminds me of other industries where they're getting tons of government appropriations and nothing is getting better. (laughs) Right? That's right. So in cybersecurity, what's the issue with like all these new products that are coming out and all these new things? And, you know, it's just adding more to the complexity. Like, what is that? Like, why are we, why are we only handling symptoms? Okay. Cybersecurity now is a big business. On the software side, with VCs and all of that, they're funding individual tool companies. And the tool companies know they're going to sell their tool to whomever, because if the marketing is correct, if it sounds right, people will buy it because they're afraid not to buy it, knowing that the probability of its working is exactly the same as the probability of the previous tool you bought working. They know that. They know that. It's not going to work. But if you don't buy it, well, then maybe you should have bought it. So what my sort of disruptive attitude is, you've got to step back and say, 
exactly what are you trying to do? And let's do that. Don't worry about how to use the latest tool. Worry about how to achieve cybersecurity. And NIST tells you how to achieve cybersecurity. How to get there is well-defined. The road to having cybersecurity is not hidden. It's well-defined. But ask any CISO and say, are you going to implement the NIST framework? And they'll say, just too much work. We'd rather spend the money on a new tool, which they hear is just around the corner, being developed in Serbia with AI, chat GPT, all of this functionality into the tool. It will save us. We'll be nope. It's coming in three months, so we don't have to do anything for three months. If we get hacked, that's okay. But as soon as we get this new tool, we're okay. Why do they think it's too much work? Like, what is it about that? You know, I was just. I was reading an article, a recent article someone had posted on LinkedIn about CISOs being so underworked, so under listened to, you know, what is going to, and they're, they're leaving in droves, resigning, who knows if the article's true, right? You, maybe you can tell us this. And they were looking at the solution where they should be more like have a seat at the table on the executive board. So this whole thing of being overworked is coming up. Why do they think it's too much work? Well, I'll give you, for instance, if you've been uh, buying a new tool every few months for the last 30 years, you may have a thousand tools. Managing all those tools, justifying the maintenance that you're spending on those, that's a lot of work. Is that really how many they have? Oh, yes. There's hundreds. There's thousands of tools that they have. Really? Because they've been buying them forever. Remember, we have 30 years of history here. So 30 years ago is when basically computers started, you know, Windows 95, people started networking computers. When Windows 95 came out, it had no networking capability. There was no internet. There was no browser. You bought a machine and you used it on its own. There really was no cybersecurity because who can hack into your device when it's sitting there on your desk on its own? Right. hacking into your pencil and paper or something. You couldn't do it. Yeah. So as you started networking computers and going on the network, people started devising viruses for fun, for, well, this, I'm sure you heard of the first, the first virus was written by somebody who was selling software, but they didn't want their software copied. So they stuck in a virus so that if somebody copied their software, they would then screw up their machine. So it was done to help them make more money. But over time, people have realized that you can make a lot of money in cybersecurity on both ends of the spectrum. On one end, defending computers, and on the other end, attacking computers. And the man in the middle is the guy with the deep pockets. He pays for protection, and he pays for getting hacked. Right, the ransom. The ransom, right. So here it is, you're paying to protect your computers and then you're paying the ransom on on both sides. So you're paying out to everybody. And I heard one CISO say that his hackers are ethical in that once you pay them, they leave you alone and they only take what you could afford to pay. Well, that sounds very strategic. Why is that? Oh, because they know what you can afford to pay because they see your bank account. 
and they don't want to put you out of business. All they want is just a little tiny taste. You know, give me, you can afford to pay more, but I'll take 17 million. I'll take a million. I'll take 500,000. I'll take 50,000. And they get it. And the board of an organization will say, pay the ransom so we can get them off our back. But the numbers of people going into the business of cybersecurity on the hacking side, on the bad side, the black hat side, is huge. So when you have a large network, you don't have one group of hackers. You have scores of groups of hackers, and they're all resident on your network. You have a hard time finding them because most organizations have no idea of how many computers they have. Really? Oh, absolutely. I mean, isn't that part of their asset like management? They've been, they've been buying computers forever. They've been buying, buying servers forever. They're there. People use them. If you have 100 people, okay, you could probably define how many computers you have. But if you have 10,000 employees, do you have 20,000 computers, 15,000? I always say, if you don't know how many computers you have, ask your hacker. He will tell you. Because <laughs> they are getting into the computers that you don't know anything about, that you haven't been maintaining. And the technology to what I call define the battleground, the network, your network, which is the battleground, the technology to define that, most companies just don't have it. They have bad discovery, bad, it comes back to data. They have bad data. They don't know what they have. And since they don't know what they have, they try to buy tools that'll help them solve the issue of protecting their network, not knowing what they have. And you say, well, why don't they just find out what they have? Yeah, why don't they just find out what they because have? Because they think it's difficult. If you buy the right technology, they, well, I heard a funny story. It was a v senior VP talking at a conference about determining, defining what you have. And they said, well, buy three tools and then average out the results. Well, if you went to a hospital and they had three thermometers, <laughs> say, if we don't know exactly whether you have a fever or not, but stick these three probes into your mouth. What we do is we average out the number. <laughs> How about just checking the device to see if it's accurate or not? Don't average it out, right? So th the whole mentality is focused on buying technology to solve the problem that's it, that the technology cannot solve. You know, some people are so thoroughly convinced that their technology can solve it. Or do you think that they actually know that it can't? 30 years into the program and you're still getting hacked every day? Come on. Come on. <laughs> There's no excuse. People do have blind spots. And do hackers not have more advanced technology than we do? I mean, the white hats? Or they just use very simple Everything is very simple. Now, if you, for example, want to hack into the Iranian nuclear systems, right, you have to be both creative how to get into the network. So it's not as simple as just sitting at your desk. It may be as simple as you go to the parking lot and you drop a lot of USB devices 
and hope that somebody will pick it up and stick it in their computer or something and say, oh, we got past the first hurdle. You have to go into a complexity there. And then once you do that, you figure, how do I jump from where I am to where I want to be? That's the creativity of the hacker. This creativity and say, okay, how do I do this? Now, what do I have to do? How do I get from placing my software on this computer to getting to the motor controller for this centrifuge? So you have a path that gets you there. But is it complex? Well, yes and no. It's you, you have to sort of know how to jump from one computer to another, how to place yourself on onto the motor controller software. It happens to be on an old PC. So you work, you, you have to sort of understand the business. But once you understand that, then you know where you're going. And there are a lot of roads that'll get you there. You just have to get on the right road and understand how to go. It's not that it's difficult. It's just that you have to be creative. And then, But then, again, on the other side, you have to be creative on how to defend your network. And that's the creativity is what zero trust is all about. Yeah, you, let's talk about zero trust. That's everywhere. I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's so hackneyed. I mean, the government's like talked about it. You know, do people really believe it? Let's talk about that. Okay. Zero trust is a very simple concept, but people don't understand the simple concept. You say, well, don't trust anybody. Okay. Well, then turn off all your computers, get rid of all the people working on the computers, and then there's no need to trust anybody because nothing's working. <laughs> you have to trust somebody, and then you have to say, well, then. How do I define who I'm going to trust? And in many cases, the person I'm trusting is not a person, but another application. And how do I get that application? And how do I understand that application to grant it access to my most sensitive data? Zero trust is all about designing a cybersecurity system, which folks are fighting you say tooth and nail or whatever to not to do. They Why? Because it's all you have to think. <laughs> okay. And thinking is hard. You, you really don't really have to think that much. You have to accept the fact that you have to design a cybersecurity system. If, if if we had a physical building and we were getting burglarized every day. Every day, people are breaking in, stealing our diamonds, stealing our gold. Somebody would say, why don't we have a burglar alarm system? And say, well, you know how much work that is to put it in? You have to know how many windows you have. You have to know how many doors you have. Somebody's got to count all of that. That's a lot of work. But I really don't need to do all of that because they... I hear that in Yugoslavia, there's a AI tool that will help us, and we will have total burglar-proof whatever. I saw it all on a movie. It works great. Okay. <laughs> and we're all waiting for that. No. Designing a proper cybersecurity system is very, very simple. Like when I lived in New Orleans, they always used to say, first, you start with the root. And that was a very common expression. 
what what that basically said is when you're cooking in New Orleans, you do New Orleans food. Right. The roux is that sauce with the flour and you can't burn it and the butter. And that's the base. Base of your etouffee, base of your gumbo. That's right. You start with the roux. In cybersecurity, you define what you're trying to protect. And that's the roux. You start with the roux. And that's the roux. You start with that. You have to know what you're trying to protect. If you know that you have undefined devices, come up with a strategy of defining those undefined devices and put them in a separate area that you're saying, these are my uncontrolled devices. What do you mean undefined devices or uncontrolled devices? Well, you have computers that you don't know anything about. Mm. And when you discover a, when you define a computer as a human being, you look at a computer, you see a computer, a box. But from the network side, from the wire, if you if you were like a robot that could go through the wire, the the optical whatever, just go into the wire to the back of the computer, the network cable, or through the wireless signal going to your computer, the computer looks different because it is not a hardware device. It's a software device. It's software, and the software defines what the computer is. So. How do you know when you're looking from the other end? Just just visualize this. You're you're a software robot and you're riding in the the communication link between all of the devices. You don't actually see the device. You see the software that's on the device, but you have a very tough time figuring out what device you're on because that device may have virtual machines on it. Maybe other devices are on it, and the virtual machines have these things like Kubernetes on it. So it's extremely complicated. It's a cloud. You have to have a feel for it. So hackers take advantage of the fact that you don't... Do hackers have a feel for it? Of course they have a feel for it. So they have the data. We don't. That's right. They have the data. They know how to hide themselves. And once they establish an account on a computer it's very difficult to, to find out where they are. So when they sniff around and get a pass login and password and they spoof you, they can do what you can do. And what Zero Trust now says is, okay, you on this software, on this, I want to come into this, to our database and you're asking for data like you normally would do. What do we do to identify you coming in asking for this data. And that's what zero trust is all about. Defining some kind of a process that it's you that's coming in and you're only taking what you should be taking. And that's the whole concept of zero trust. You define processes that isolate computers, have groups of computers that can work together have access to specific data. So if you're in finance, it's logical that you should have access to a finance computer. Mm-hmm. But then that the server that's serving you needs to know what you're allowed to pass through. If you have an application coming in and trying to get data out of the server, that application has to be authenticated. Does it have the proper credentials to get exactly and only what it needs to take. Now, that's where the design comes in. 
the network segmentation. You segment the network. So in this part of this network, you could say anything goes. It doesn't really matter. They're all working within a fence. They really can't get out. That's fine. Now, I have this segment that only 10 people are allowed to get into, and they can only do certain things. And you put that down as policies when you design the network. So you look at your network, and you come up with policies for every situation, and then you implement those policies. Imagine that. You apply it. (laughs) You apply it. And then you apply it, and you have somebody responsible for that process. So they could monitor that process. So you have dashboards. You have data coming back because you're managing data all the time. Does the data look right? And you have dashboards and you say, this is the flow of information. This is the flow of data. And it becomes very simple. You look at a server and you have, you could click on it and you see data flowing into the server, data flowing out of the server. Now, what we do now, because AI is, but AI has been around forever. SQL Server, for example, has had AI functionality, I think, for the last six, seven, eight years. Hmm. Great AI functionality. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. AI is nothing new. What's new is the PR around AI. Exactly. That's what's <laughs> new. Chat GPT made it easy for the average person to use AI. But in business, people have had AI all the time. Remember big data? Mm-hmm. That was a big term, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, big data. When was the last Tsunami time? of data, big data. It's been a while. Yeah, the last time you heard big data is right now because for <laughs> years we haven't been talked about it because all big data proved is that you could have a lot of data, but unless it has accuracy and is worth something, it's worth less. It's worthless. And, and unless you could access it. That's right. And make sense of it. it yeah. That's right. Right. So on a network, if you're collecting data and the data is accurate, then you could apply AI. But if you have bad data, there's nothing that AI can do for you. So the whole movement to having AI sort of seems like, okay, that's just how we're going to solve our problems. We're going to use AI. But ask AI, can they solve your problems? And chat GPT will say, I can't. Right. Because I have no data <laughs> to work with. It's so very true. Yeah. And, you know, chat GPT only goes back to 2021, right? That's right. But say, for example, you have data about your network, because that's what people, you know, say you want to secure your network with chat GPT. It's smart. It's AI. You don't have data. And with the data you have is not accurate. You know, I, I find this very, very interesting. You know, with my background with crisis management, you know, one of the things that we would do is go into a company, right? Because not only would we have to mitigate the reputational damage, but we'd have to find out what happened that led to this, right? And we would look for things that were incongruent or didn't make sense or were what we called outpoints. You know, plus points were good, outpoints were bad. And the first number one outpoint that you look for is omitted data, which is very hard to look for because it's omitted, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the most common. 
in any situation, it's the most common. And I, I find this very interesting that you've built your company around this particular number one outpoint of omitted data. That's right. I remember years ago, and there was tremendous fighting in the company. I said, I want to collect as much data as I possibly can and make sure it's accurate. And folks would say, but collecting all this data, we got a story and we, we're not using it. And I would say, they, there will come a day <laughs> when we're able to actually process the data, but let's collect it anyway. And even if it's in an inaccessible form, it'll become accessible later on when we improve the technology. So what I do now is I have so much data coming in from our processes that we can manage the data and therefore manage the process and achieve the results. The results, what you want is good data. Mm -hmm. if, if I want to, for example, manage a server and I say, what is the optimum state for the server? Uh, how much capacity should it have? What's its workload? How does it pass data out? What data is on it? I could come up with this perfect design. And I see now, how does the data from the other server match that? Is it different? Why is it different? Shouldn't it be the same? It should be the same. So you're always managing data. It seems to me this particular framework, that's like you have gotten down to you've undercut and undercut and undercut to the basic common denominator that all cybersecurity tools should be built on mm -hmm. is knowing what is mm -hmm. in your network, right? right? Sure. I, I would imagine this saves like you work with companies all over the world, some of the biggest organizations, government enterprises and so forth. Like I would imagine this saves them so much money. Compared to the thousands of cybersecurity tools that they would have and, you know, all the people that it would take to manage that. Well, like, you to, okay, you have to remember, I was once talking to a fellow from a major consulting group, and I showed him how we do the process. And he said to me, he said, do you realize that we're making billions of dollars a year selling and managing tools? And your process is not going to help us one bit. Wow. It eliminates the tools and the processing of these tools and selling of these tools. We make our money selling the tools. And you're, you're selling a process that will define the tools that you need and only the tools that you need and manage the tools and manage the work and everything like that. It makes it so much simpler that the business, you know, it's, it's hacking on both sides, okay? The consulting companies make money helping you design your cybersecurity system or managing your tools, and the hackers work to avoid the tools. What did you say to him? You probably laughed. There's nothing to say. Oh, no, no. I was very sad because he's saying, I really don't want to solve the problem because I'm making too much money, quote, solving the problem. Wow. Even though the problem is not being solved, but the money flow is. So is there a problem? No, there's no problem. I'm making a billion and a half dollars a year. So where's the problem, pal? <laughs> there's no problem here. Yes. I'm doing just fine. Right. 
And that's the issue. But there's others that don't feel that way. Well, I think, and the others that don't feel that way don't know about the possible solution. Mm-hmm. And they feel overwhelmed. It's just too big. Mm-hmm. Do you find that with Aerosense, people are so overwhelmed and they don't believe that there's a possible solution, that that is a hindrance to you in sales? Yeah, yes and no. If uh, Once we ex- explain what we do, and once you see a presentation and see what you can do, it's a life-changing experience. And how would you describe it in simple terms, like an elevator pitch about what you do? Because you've been talking all about it, and I'm sure our listeners are going, what do you do? Well, it's like showing a washing machine to a person that's been scrubbing, okay? <laughs> it's, it's different. It's a different concept. And once you look at it in a different way, you say, oh, I understand now. It's process and support the process. Now, it's not that they're unaware of the concept. Salesforce.com manages salespeople. Prior to that, there were other managing tools like that. But there was a time when you managed Salesforce, a Salesforce with a, a book. How about everybody knows about NetSuite, QuickBooks? But there were times where you had no NetSuite and QuickBooks. You had accounting departments that may have used processes that were antiques, but they worked. The Ford Motor Company became a great company. No computers, no adding machines, no multiplication machines. But And their accounting systems worked. But cybersecurity doesn't work for the same reason. What if, for example, I went to a, an accounting company and I said, we have a new tool for determining how much money you have. We weigh your money. And we'll tell you how you're doing. <laughs> In cybersecurity, you would make the sale. In finance, mm-hmm. wouldn't. So now, when somebody started selling SAP or Oracle Financials to a company that had manual systems, it was a life-changing experience. Things became easier. When you put QuickBooks into your company, it makes life easier. When you have a, an accounting system, a payroll system, a sales tax system, it makes your life easier. Cybersecurity is not there yet. That's all. It's not there yet. Where would you like to see the industry going? Well, I'd like to go into process and automation. Simple and plain. Do exactly what the finance people did, what the sales force people did. Every other organization has process and automation. Cybersecurity has no process and no automation. That's amazing to me. I did not know that. I mean, people assume that they do. They, they don't. When you build a car, it's all robots. IT is all people. The only facility that is not automated is IT. That's it. There's no automation in IT. So it says, oh, you're, no, that's not true. It's not true. Yes, it is true. There's no automation in IT. So you might have simple tools here or there that maybe you have workflows and people can look at a workflow and say, well, this is automation. No, a workflow just mimics what you would normally be doing and just follows the road, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, doesn't, but you still have to watch the workflow. Mm-hmm. Automation is different. You watch the car being built. At the end of the thing, your car is assembled, you put the key in or push the button and drive it away. In IT, it's all people, all people. 
Wow. And people, they're very inefficient. Looking at Facebook and talking to their girlfriend and all of the stuff that you're doing, you have no time to manage the network. <laughs> so what are your plans for Aerosent for the next few years? I know process automation. I mean, you're even putting that into play right now, but you even mentioned things like robotics and you know more AI. That's right. That's right. We're using AI a lot now, primarily because we have accurate data. And that's the key. So you get a result back. So when I ask my AI, quote, robot about Oracle licensing, it will suggest things to do. Mm. Consolidate a server, use it in a limited time, get rid of certain options, because it has real data. So we're using more AI tools, more automation, and that's the key. That is the key. That's the key. So, you know, I have a question about you, right? When you're not developing this technology, when you're not staying on the bleeding edge of the new technology that you're creating and, you know, in cybersecurity, which I don't think you ever sleep. I know you have a lot of patents. What do you do for fun? What are some crazy passions that you have? Well, what I like to do is fly my plane. So I bought an airplane that was built the same year I was born looks brand new. It's a Cessna 170B. It's a tail dragger. It has, it's, it's, some say it's difficult to fly because it's totally unstable on landing and takeoffs, but that's okay. That's only, when you're flying it, it's nice and stable. It's just when you're trying to land it, it wants to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) But you like that. (laughs) It's okay. Where do you fly it? Yeah, I fly at, I, I have two airports. I fly out of Van Sant in Pennsylvania, which is a beautiful grass airport. It's beautiful with antique airplanes. And over here in Monmouth Jet Center, where I have it there. So I'm, I, I fly out of both airports. And do you fly just like around like, you know, a few states? Do you take it like to the other side of the nation? Like, where do you go? Well, I also belong to an aero club. So I was just in Arkansas the other day. So I flew down to Arkansas, but it wasn't on my Cessna 170 because that's a little too slow. And I had people with me. So, you know, landing should be easy, not a challenge. The Cessna <laughs> yeah. 170 landing is a challenge with the, I fly Saratoga. And landing is like nothing. It's you know, it's, and it's fast. It goes like two hundred plus miles an hour. It's and it's, it has autopilot. So basically, you don't do anything other than set it and forget it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you want to do for people to do with Arison's technology, right? Set basically, it set and it forget and it. Forget it. <laughs> okay. So tell our listeners in a nutshell what Arison does. It's what I call it: IT total management. It's more than just IT asset management. It's everything that's involved in IT. It's help desk software. It's, it's uh, workflows. We have an ITpedia that's a repository of data about all IT items, hospital devices, everything like that. Uh, we do SBOM analysis, which is critical. The software building materials is the latest thing about software. And that's a key item entitlements and vulnerability management. Vulnerability management is key because vulnerabilities are what hackers use to get into your network. If you don't manage your vulnerabilities, which most people don't, and they can't, 
because again, they don't know what they have. (laughs) (laughs) So vulnerability management and SBOMs enhance vulnerability management because SBOMs address open source software. Years ago, everybody was against open source software. We said, no, we don't want any open source on our networks. They didn't realize that the software vendors were mostly using open source software. It was like a dirty little secret. The SBOM exposes all of that. It exposes all of the open source software and the libraries that you're using that's buried in your software. So most of the major hacks that have occurred, say, the last two years, are a result of open source software. And you don't know about the hacks because you're not using SBOMs. Interesting. Yeah, and you can't use an SBOM if you don't have a management system for SBOMs. And if you don't know what your regular vulnerabilities are, why do you care what your open source vulnerabilities are? Because you don't care anyway. (laughs) I don't think they don't care. I think they're in apathy. (laughs) They're in apathy. How much ransoming is really going on? Because I don't think everything's being reported. Huge. Right. You hear about this all the time. Because people keep it quiet. They just pay. Nobody talks about it. Of course. But if if the government imposed a fine, say, whatever ransom you pay to the hacker, you're being taxed 10 times that much. To Are the you person. in favor of that if they did oh, that? absolutely. Because, first of all, the hackers would ask less. Because when you negotiate with the hacker, you would say, I can't pay you $17 because I have to pay the... SEC's 170, and that'll put me out of business. <laughs> and so they don't want about, that because they're quote unquote ethical, right? That's right. They're ethical. So they say, okay, fine. How about a million? And then they, the hackers tell their family, okay, no Ferrari this year because <laughs> we got to cut that. Do the hackers go back to their sources of income after a while? Like they keep going back to them? Of course. Yeah. It's no different than the mafia in the 20s and 30s. Interesting. When you were paying protection. Yeah. It's the same thing. The the fellow you were paying protection to didn't want you going out of business. He wanted you to be in business. Fascinating. Fascinating. You have really opened the door to this virtual world that nobody's really looked at. Mm -hmm. So tell our listeners how they get a hold of you. Well, anybody can call me. I, I publish my telephone number. 908-310-5916. You could send me an email. It's Walt, W-A-L-T at Ericent.com, E-R-A-C-E-N-T.com. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And you're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Yep. And Ericent.com. That's right. Awesome. That's great. What is like a thought, motto, takeaway that you want our listeners to take away from this particular podcast today? I'd say manage your data, manage your life. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. This was awesome. Okay. Thank you very much. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. 
Do not disregard seeking professional legal health care or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.